You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. But before we jump into the word that I believe God has for us tonight, I think we should pray. I think we should invite the Holy Spirit in to speak and to move and to do what only he can do. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for tonight, God. Your spirit is here. We sensed you in worship. The king has stepped into the room. And so now, God, we lay all things down at your feet. We lay all of our crowns, all of our experiences from today, our distractions. We say those can go down for the next 30 minutes. And God, we want to hear you speak. I thank you for this series, the fact that you are growing all of us in a process of spiritual maturity. And I pray for every single one of my brothers and my sisters in this room tonight. I thank you that you are growing something in all of us. And we pray that you would help us to walk even through the pain, even through the difficulties to see where you're taking us tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, well, tonight... Uh, We are continuing an incredible series. We've been in it for two weeks. Somebody help me out. What series are we in? Growing Pains. That's right. If you're just now joining us tonight in this series, I want to give you just a quick uh, recap, bring you up to speed on the journey that we're on so far. Um, So unlike uh, physical puberty where you have growing pains, okay, this is not a series on your puberty, but in a weird way, this kind of is a series on spiritual puberty, okay? But the, the weird thing about spiritual puberty is it's different than physical puberty because one day you stop going through puberty. Praise God, right? But here's the thing about spiritual puberty. You actually never stop growing in spiritual puberty because you're only done when you look exactly like Jesus, right? And so that means that all of us have still got some maturing to do. And I don't know about you, but that's actually really encouraging to me to know that even the the people that I look up to the most, like pastors, maybe your small group leader, maybe you look up to your parents or somebody online who's who's, uh, vocal about their faith, here's the really encouraging thing about that. The person that you look up to the most in the faith is still on the exact same maturing process as you because we're all not done growing. And so that's what we're talking about in this series, what it looks like to go through spiritual maturity and the fact that there are some difficult things, some growing pains that we experience as we go through this. So in week one, we took a look at a passage of scripture uh, where Paul kind of tells us to do something as believers that is very hard to do. He says this in Romans chapter five. This will be familiar to you because we've read it, but if you missed it, I want you to write this down. Follow along with me. Here's what it says. It says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. So this is the hard part though. That's not the hard part. This is the hard part. We can rejoice. Somebody say rejoice. Rejoice. We can rejoice too. Okay. When do we rejoice, Paul? When we run into problems and trials, ooh, that's hard. Rejoicing when trials and problems show up in your life, but why can we do that? Well, Paul tells us, look at this. For we know that trials and problems help us develop endurance, 
and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope in salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So let's recap. Somebody say recap. We're gonna recap. In week one of growing pains, if you remember, we talked about the fact that spiritual maturity in Christ, experiencing what the Bible talks about, being transformed into the image of Jesus, that process is not always easy. It's not always easy. In fact, most of the time, it's kind of uncomfortable. In fact, uh, not only should believers expect this journey of maturity to be uncomfortable, we should expect problems, but Paul actually raises the bar even higher than just expecting problems to come. He says, no, 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 don't just expect problems to come. I want you to get stoked when problems come. I want you to rejoice when difficulties come in your life. And the reason why we can do that, it sounds crazy. It sounds so backwards to our normal, natural way to respond to troubles and to trials. But the reason why we can do that is because we know that on the other side of that difficulty, what? We're gonna look a lot more like Jesus than when we first started. That's why we can rejoice because every problem that comes in our, in our way is actually an opportunity for God to grow something new in us. Amen. Amen. Okay, sorry, I just choked up with her. But we also talked about something that I'm super passionate about here at New Song Students. And, and really, it's our entire goal. It's our entire vision here at New Song Students. And that's seeing every single one of you step into the maturity of God now. Now, here's what I mean by that. Maturity in Christ doesn't have to start when you look mature on the outside. We talked about that in week one. You don't have to wait to start stepping into maturity in Christ until people think you look mature in Christ. No, that journey starts right now. Somebody say right now. And so that's what we talked about in week one. And last week, uh, my boy, my very own New Song Students leader, Eric, brought an incredible word. Can we make some noise for Eric? Eric, dude phenomenal word. Seriously, man. I love you. And I just want to shout out Eric because since day one of knowing Eric, Eric has been an incredible model of transparency, of vulnerability, being an example specifically to our new song students, dudes. I know I'm speaking to every dude in the house. Eric, you've been an incredible example for our guys. So I thank you, man. Can we make some noise for Eric one more time? Eric preached an incredible word last week. Um, and if you weren't able to be here for that message, you've got homework, okay? So if you're taking notes, you need to write down your homework, is go back and listen to that message. But also, I want you to know, man, if you miss any of the messages here at New Song Students, we actually post every single message on our podcast. And I'm telling you, that is an incredible opportunity for all of us, man. If we miss, miss a week, you can go back and listen to it. I promise you, most youth ministries do not offer that to their students. So I hope you're utilizing that tool. But last week, Eric covered what I think is the hardest hurdle for Christians to jump over. The hardest hurdle for us to learn how to jump over in our journey for uh, maturity in Christ. And that's the pain of conviction and confession. Do you remember that? So last week, we talked about how for the majority of all of us as believers, uh, 
it's kind of easy for us to do that first part, which is to feel conviction. Because what is conviction? It's recognizing that I've sinned. It's recognizing that I've made a mistake, that I've messed up or I've disobeyed God. That part is a little bit easier to do. It's kind of easy to recognize our sin. But the harder hurdle to jump over is the invitation that that gives us, which is to confess that sin. Amen? And so we learn that this really cool thing about conviction, which is conviction is actually a sign that you care about what God cares about. So that means when I feel conviction for something, I don't need to go and feel bad and feel shameful, but I can actually see that conviction as an invitation from God saying, hey, now will you do the next part? Because if you confess, there's freedom for you on the other side. Amen. There was a quote that Eric said. I just want to repeat it before we continue into this week. I thought it was so good. He said, God loves you so much where you're at right now with him, but he loves you too much to stay there. Too much to stay there. So that's why we confess, because God has a greater place for you to go, a greater level of maturity. So tonight, we're in week three. And if you are ready to dive into week three of Growing Pains, I need you to get your notes out. Get your journal out, your phone, whatever you want to do to lean in with me for this message tonight, because I promise you, God has got something for you. But we're going to be doing, uh, starting off this message in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to write that down, you can go ahead and do that or start heading your way over to Matthew 6. Now, you might recognize where Matthew chapter 6 is, because that's a familiar street address. We've just been there for a couple weeks recently because we've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount at church. You guys remember the series, Kingdom Manifesto? It's been an incredible series. And Matthew chapter 6 is smack dab right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So when I start reading this, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to start checking out and being like, Pastor Jackson, I already know this stuff. So like, I'm gonna check Instagram. Pastor Jackson, I've already heard this. We just did a series on it. So like, I'm a master at all this. I'm good. No, 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 I want you to lean in with me tonight. It's going to be familiar, but we're going to take it somewhere that's specific to us tonight, all right? Okay, so we're going to jump into it. This passage is a little chunky, but we like it chunky here. So this is Jesus talking, Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. He says, watch out. Somebody say, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and on the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give, somebody say, you give. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's kind of hard. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray. Somebody say, when you pray. When you pray. pray, Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray on the public side of the corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray. Somebody say, I pray. When I pray, go by yourself Shut the door behind you and pray to your father who's in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Can you guys hang in for a little bit more? You guys want some more scripture? 
Okay, we're gonna skip down to 16. Here's what it says. And when you fast, somebody say, when you fast. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair. Somebody say comb your hair. hair. Wash your face. You can repeat after me. Say wash your face. Comb your hair, wash your face. You should take notes on that. The, amen. <laughs> Verse 18. Then no one will notice your fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Amen. Man, Jesus knows how to preach a good message, okay? So we're going to dive into this tonight. But the message title is this, if you're taking notes. We're talking tonight about the pain of secrecy. The pain of secrecy. Last week we talked about the pain of conviction and confession. Tonight we're looking at the pain of secrecy. So what am I talking about? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we just read, Jesus is giving us what we just talked about in our series on the weekend. He's giving us the kingdom manifesto. Do you know what a manifesto is? No? I'll tell you. It's okay. I got you. I got you. A manifesto is literally this. It's a public declaration of policy. So in Matthew's, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is publicly declaring the kingdom policies and how they work. So he's telling all of us, hey, this is how you live in God's kingdom. This is how you're supposed to relate to other people in God's kingdom. And this is how you're called to relate to God in his kingdom. You following me? He's just laying it all out for us. But just like we learned over the last 10 weeks, over the weekend at church, we learned that God's kingdom is not like our kingdom, right? God's kingdom is different. God's ways are not normal. They're not normal to the way we naturally live in our kingdom. In fact, Most of this message, Jesus is doing this to all of us. He's saying, hey, you think you're supposed to do this, fill in the blank, but you're actually supposed to do this, fill in the blank. He's doing things like saying, hey, I know you you feel like you're supposed to be doing it this way, but this is actually the right way to do it. And sometimes Jesus is telling us, hey, you're actually going completely the wrong way, and I need you to go in the opposite direction of where, where the world is going. And Jesus talks about things like lust. And he says like, hey, if you look at a person and you lust for them in your mind, Jesus says, bless you. (laughs) He does say bless you. But Jesus says when you look at a woman or you look at a man and you have lust for them, you have committed the act of adultery in your heart. But that's not what our world says. No, our world says, dude, it's just a thought. You didn't do it. You can think whatever you want to think. Thinking is different than doing. But is that what Jesus says? Jesus says, no, no, no. Thinking is doing. When you think it, you've already done it in your heart. Jesus lets us know the way we're called to respond to our enemies. People who treat us bad. People who hate on us. People who bully us. Jesus doesn't say, hey, just avoid them. He doesn't say, hey, you fight back and retaliate. He says, no, you pray for them. You pray for your enemies. New Song students, I think one of the greatest things that we can do in our journey of maturity 
is not get so shocked when we realize God is telling us to go in the opposite direction of culture. I think sometimes uh, we get shocked when God's ways are telling us to go in a way that's not normal. We're like, well, my friends are doing it, and they seem fine. They seem happy. Everybody on social media is saying this, and like God is saying something else, but like maybe they're right, and maybe God's right, and I just haven't figured out what, what's true yet. No, no, no. God's way is the right way. And New Song students, we got to learn to not be shocked when God's ways are completely different, sometimes completely opposite than the normal ways of walking in this world. And we also can't be shocked when we see our world getting darker and darker and darker as it continues to go. Because guess what? The world isn't following God's kingdom manifesto. And God's kingdom manifesto tells us the best way that life is supposed to function. And so when you don't follow it, it, there's, no re- there's no reason why we should be shocked when it gets darker and darker and darker. But when we walk in God's kingdom manifesto, what should we be doing? We should be getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And so I'm honestly loving the way that God is organizing this series on growing, growing pains because it is painting a perfect picture of this kind of upside down kingdom that we're actually called to live in. And I wanna kind of show you how God is doing this because it's really cool and I don't want you to miss it. Last week, What did Eric talk about? He talked about the pain of conviction and confession. And this week, we're talking about the pain of secrecy. I want you to see how opposite these are to the world's standard of normal. So I'm going to give you a point. It's going to be on the slide, but I don't want you to write it down yet, okay? I don't want you to write it down. You can listen to it, and then they're going to leave it up long enough for you to write it down or take a picture of it. But I just want you to listen to this for the next couple seconds, okay? And then you can get it in just a second. But here's what it says. As believers, we are a part of an upside-down kingdom. So listen to this. This is so important. Instead of making sure everybody sees the best parts of our lives and then hiding or masking away the worst parts of us, we are called to bring to light the worst parts of us through confession. And we are called to hide the best parts of us through humility. I want to read that again because this is... This is how opposite our kingdom is to the world. We're called to hide, or in, our, in the world we live in, we're called to show everybody this mask. This is who I am. I'm happy. My life is great. And we hide away the trauma. We hide away the sin. But Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, no, 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 no. You confess those bad things and you live humbly. You following me? And here's, what, here's why this is important. Because every single person on this earth, every single person wants to feel meaning in their life. Does, do you guys want your life to mean something? We all want our life to matter. We want our life to be great. We want to impact this world. But here's the thing. The normal way in our world to achieve greatness is to show people what they want to see and then hide away the parts they don't want to see. Are you following me? But Jesus flips the script on us and he says, no, 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 true greatness is achieved when you are able to bring the hard parts about you into the light and then to live as if you don't need everybody to see the very best parts of you. This is the freedom God wants to invite us into. Now, I was reading about this this week and this is super interesting. In June, 1883, there was a magazine And I'm not even going to try to say the title of this magazine company because it's French. But they introduced 
a philosophical thought experiment. You guys want to go on a philosophical thought experiment with me? Okay. They introduced this question in 1883, and you've probably heard this question before. Here's what it says. It says this. If a tree falls in a forest and nobody is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Okay. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Now, the whole point of this thought, I'm going to get your answer in just a second. The whole point of this thought experiment was to see, was to ask the questions of perception and observation. So I want to ask you, what do you think? Do you think if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? Got some yeses. Got some no's. I'm a little, I, don't, I couldn't tell who was more. So if you think yes, it makes a sound, raise your hand. Okay, wow. Majority of people think yes. How about no? Where are my no's at? Okay, I know I heard more no's than that. Y'all got scared when you saw all the yeses go up. You want the answer? Okay, here's the answer. The answer is no. Now, shh, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. No. Here's why. Sound is a sensation excited in the ear when air, uh, when air and other mediums are set in motion. Here's a better way. Another magazine came back and gave a more scientific answer. Here's what they said. They said, sound is vibration transmitted to our senses through the mechanism of the ear and recognized only as sound at our nerve centers. So here's what that means. The falling of the tree or any other disturbance will produce vibration in the air, but if there are no ears to hear it, there's no sound. Isn't that kind of trippy? Isn't that kind of weird? Basically, here's what that means. Here's what that means. People's perceptions determine sound, okay? If people didn't hear it, the sound doesn't exist. But if we're not careful, we can, rec we can start living our lives in this way um, where, we, where we live our lives saying, if people don't see me, if people don't recognize me, if people don't applaud me, if I'm not known, does my life matter? Does my life have meaning? In the same way that there is no sound unless there are ears to hear, if we're not careful, we can start living our lives in a way that says, I don't matter unless people see me, unless they hear me, unless they know me, unless they value me, Okay. So here's where I'm going with this. Some of y'all know I like YouTube. Anybody else like YouTube in the house? Oh boy. oh, boy. I love me some YouTube. I could care less about TV. I'm not paying for any cable of any kind. I, I don't play video games because I get bored of them too quickly. But your boy can spend some time on YouTube, okay? And I love YouTube because I learn how to do random things on YouTube. I watch all of my entertainment on YouTube. I listen to pastors and messages on YouTube, so that's kind of like the spiritual aspect that makes me feel better about the time that I spend on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? I love YouTube. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I was scrolling, doing my normal thing. I'm looking for something to watch on YouTube, and this interesting came up. This video came up with a very interesting title. It said this. It said, Burberry Airy wants you to hate him. And... Y'all know that clickbait can get you sometimes, right? So this big fancy title caught my attention and I was like, ooh, I'm watching this. So I watched it and this whole video is about this guy named Burberry Airy. So if you've never heard of him, you might not have. 
he's kind of this random guy who's famous, and I don't know why he's famous, but he's into skateboarding, and he's also popular in the hip-hop scene. He's like friends with Kanye and all of this stuff. He looks like this, actually. I brought a picture of Burberry Airy. He's, he's got that goth look. He's got the Liberty Spikes. He's kind of an interesting looking dude. So you can imagine why I wanted to click the video when you see this face, and then it says, he wants you to hate him, right? So I was like, okay, I wanna see why. <laughs> so I watched the video, and the whole video is about his kind of odd way of becoming popular, this random story of how he got famous. But at the very end of his video, he said a quote that honestly broke my heart for this guy. But I think it reveals a lot of light on how we see greatness and how we value being seen. He said this at the very end of the video. He said, hate is just as good as love. I'd rather somebody hate me than not know who I am. I'd rather somebody hate me than not know who I am. Now, that's a really extreme statement, but I think it reveals a problem, a fear that every single one of us are facing in our life, a fear that every single one of us are trying to overcome in this life, and it's the fear of living a life that has no value. Are you following me? It's the fear that what if my life is like that tree that falls in the middle of the forest and nobody hears it happen? Nobody sees my life happen. If that's the case, do I even matter? This is the fear that we all have. This is the fear that is running and ruling Burberry Aries' life. He'd rather have people hate him than not be seen. And here's why. If you're taking notes, write this down. We all have a desire to be great. Every single one of us. We have a desire to be great. And guess what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. There's actually a godly aspect, a godly desire to be great because when you have that godly desire that God's put in you, you can be great for his kingdom. You can be great for the kingdom of God and make the kingdom of earth look a lot more like the kingdom of God. But just like what Eric preached last week, we have a very real enemy. And remember, the enemy cannot create anything, right? He can't create like God can. The enemy doesn't make things happen, like he doesn't make people sick. He doesn't give your parents a flat tire on the way to work. He doesn't do any of that. All he can do is what? He can warp things, he can alter things, he can pervert things. So the enemy takes good things that God's already created, and what does he do? He warps them, he perverts them, he alters them. So like, for instance, we've talked about this a lot. Godly sexuality is called and designed to be inside of a marriage. But what, is this, what does the enemy do? He comes in and takes that good thing that's supposed to happen in marriage and he perverts it. He alters it. In the same way, the enemy takes this godly desire for all of us to experience greatness, to be great for God's kingdom. But what does he do? He perverts it. He perverts it and gets us to see that see greatness in a different way and the way to achieve that greatness in a different way. So going back to that thought experiment about the tree, y'all remember the tree in the forest? Going back to that, according to that thought experiment, it's only sound if somebody else heard it and perceived it. But this is exactly how the enemy 
has came and altered and perverted God's perfect design for greatness. Because here's what the enemy says to us. You're only great if somebody cares. You're only great if somebody cares. And the world says this. You can achieve greatness when you're seen, when you're valued, and when you're applauded by other people. This is the normal way in our world for us to achieve greatness by the world's standards, by being seen, being valued, being being known by the most people possible. So that means our value is completely tied to the way people perceive us. And you know what? I totally understand this because you know what? The more people that see my Instagram posts, the more I feel like I matter. Do you feel that way too? We, we see this all the time when we see people on Instagram. Like a person who's got a million followers on Instagram, they seem a lot more valuable, a lot greater than somebody who's only got like 87 followers on Instagram. The, the youth group that's got 300 kids going there on every single Wednesday night seems like they're making more of an impact than the youth group that's only got 50 people. But the reality is this isn't always the case. This isn't always the case. And the value of our world place, the, uh, the value our world places on things and the greatness that we see in others is 100% tied to the way people see us. And this is a dangerous place to find yourself in because you know what it does for us? It causes us to become slaves to people. We become slaves to people. So that means we do things, and even if we know we don't wanna do them, we'll do them anyway just to be seen by people. Or on the flip, we won't do certain things even if we know we should just to be seen by people. Are you following me? We'll do things that we know everything in us is telling us not to do, but we'll do it just for that moment of feeling mattered and seen and worth something. So like, for instance, I hear this all of the time. You've got a girl and she does not wanna do this, but she will give her virginity away to her boyfriend. Why? Because her boyfriend is telling her, if you don't do this, how am I gonna know that you love me? And so she will do something that everything inside of her is telling her no. Why? To feel valued, to feel loved. And what, what happens when you do that is you become a slave to people. Maybe for you that looks, like, that looks like this. You'll take a good thing God's given to you, like your talents. Maybe you're amazing at sports. But you will take that talent and you will pull, put that so high on the altar of your heart and you'll worship that talent. You'll spend as much time as possible crafting that talent because when you do that and you get that one encouragement, it makes your life feel like you mean something. And so you'll worship that talent. But here's where you find yourself when you do that. You find yourself being a slave to the way people see you. And this is exactly where we see the Pharisees in Matthew chapter six because on the outside, they looked great. They're doing all the right things. They're praying all the time. They look all sad and hungry because they fast so dang much. But on the inside, nothing is changing. In fact, they are actually not free at all. Even though they're all doing these good, holy things, they are slaves to the opinions of people. They're slaves to the opinions around them. Even though they look super holy, they are not experiencing the true greatness that God has called them to step into. And they get a reward but the Bible says the only reward they, re- they get is the praises of men. And I love what this theologian says about the praises of men. 
What else is the praises of men but a little stinking breath? Who wants stinking breath as their reward for greatness? Does anybody like stinking breath in this house? No, right? I don't like stinky breath. And I hope you don't either. I don't want that to be the reward of my life. I don't want that to be the reward of the greatness God has for me. So we've got to figure out two things tonight. We've got to figure out, okay, what does true greatness look like then? And how do we achieve it? Are you still following me tonight, New Song students? So to do this, I want to look at a story, very funny story, in Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus gives us the exact answer for how you and I are called to step into greatness. Here's what it says, starting in verse 20. It says, The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? This is Jesus. He says, What is your request? And she said, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. She wanted her sons to look great right next to Jesus, on your right, and the other to your left. This is funny. This is like James and John doing that thing where when you want to have a sleepover with your best friend, and you go to them, and you're like, hey, you ask my mom, because like, if I ask her, she'll say no. But if you ask her, she'll, she'll definitely say yes. Have you ever done that before? This is exactly what James and, and John have done. They're like, hey, mom, can you go ask Jesus if we can sit next to him in his kingdom? And she's like, anything for you boys. And she goes up to Jesus for them. This is like, they totally lost their man card when they just did that. So their mom goes to Jesus and is like, hey, can my boys sit next to you in heaven? But look at what Jesus says. Jesus answered them by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, we're able. Jesus told them, You indeed will drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other 10 disciples heard James and John had asked, they were indigenous. So the other disciples saw them asking for greatness and they got jealous because what do they want? What do they want? They want greatness. So they got all jealous and they got mad at them. So they come up to Jesus, but Jesus called them all together He's like, hey, we need to have a powwow because y'all ain't getting this. And he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. This is him talking about how the kingdom of God works. It's different than the kingdoms of this world. He says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be The first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So in this passage, James and John are wanting something. What are they wanting? Help me out again. What are they wanting? Greatness. They want to be great. And Jesus recognizes that they want greatness, but their view of greatness is all wrong. And their view of how to achieve greatness is all wrong. Because they think that greatness looks like ruling, sitting next to Jesus, being next to the one who's in authority, and ruling that authority over other people. But Jesus says, hey, hey, greatness is different than that. He's actually giving us the definition of what 
the great, what greatness is, and it's the opposite to greatness of the world. Here's what it is. Greatness is achieved by serving. Write that down. Greatness is achieved by serving. Our very own pastor, Pastor Josh, he says it like this. God is not trying to move you from greatness to servanthood. He wants you to move to greatness through servanthood. To greatness through servanthood. And here's the amazing thing about God's greatness. It's actually available to every single person. And greatness in this world is not available to every single person. You have to have more followers. You have to have better looks. You have to have more stuff. More people value you. And the reality is not everybody is going to be famous. Not everybody is going to have money. But everybody, according to God's book, can be great. And here's why. I love this. Martin Luther King Jr. says this. Anybody can be great because anybody can serve. Anybody can experience greatness in God's kingdom because anybody has the opportunity to serve. And you know what? We see this modeled perfectly in Jesus because Jesus is literally the greatest person to have ever walked on this face of the earth. And if there was anybody who had the right to lord his authority over people, it was Jesus. Like Jesus actually had the right to be like, hey, yo, Peter, my feet are kind of dirty. Can you wash them, please? <laughs> Jesus had the right to do that. Jesus, when he is entering into Jerusalem during Holy Week and people are worshiping him and they're waving palm branches at him and they're saying, this is the Messiah. We're so excited. He's finally come. In that moment, Jesus totally could have been like, finally, getting the worship I deserve. Been telling you all this whole time. Now you want to worship me. Okay, here we go. That's not what Jesus does, though. Because Jesus recognizes that this praise that, they, that, that he is getting from people, this applaud, in just a few days is going to turn into cursing. In just a few days, all of those people are going to turn away from him. Because Jesus recognizes that greatness isn't being praised by people. Greatness is being praised by his father. Jesus was the greatest human who ever walked the face of the earth, and he never used his authority over people. He constantly sets the example of serving. And New Song students, this is why we preach serving so much here at New Song Church, because it's not because we need your help. It's not because we as your pastors like need you on our team and we want to lord our authority over you. No, no, no. We want you to serve because we want you to be great. We want you to serve because we want to see you step into all that God has for you and in your maturity. And you know what? I want to brag on you guys because you know what, New Song students? We already have an amazing culture here of serving. I'm telling you, there is nothing better than being your youth pastor and walking through here on the weekends and seeing students basically serving on every team in this church. I walk through this church and I see you guys holding babies. I see you guys leading worship and threshold. I see you working cameras, moving podiums around every single weekend. So I'm telling you, we're not preaching this tonight because this is something you're bad at. We're preaching this tonight because this is something we believe in. And I want to see every single one of you step into greatness, but you can't enter into greatness. You can't achieve the greatness God has for you without serving, without stepping into serving like Jesus. God has a maturity for you, a greatness for you, but the way into it is serving. So the answer is serving, but serving doesn't necessarily equal maturity. Serving doesn't necessarily equal maturity because remember, here's what we got to understand. 
we've got a real enemy, and he's not just, he's not just uh, good at perverting things, he's crafty. And so not only will he take this thing called greatness and warp it, he'll take this thing called serving and he'll pervert it. Here's what I mean by that. It means that I may serve Jesus. I may do all of the things in church. I may serve on every single team in New Song Church, look extra humble, doing all the right things, but deep down on the inside, there's a motivation that's a little bit off. I'm serving, and maybe for a little while, it's in secret, and nobody notices me, but really, I'm doing it, and I'm hoping one day somebody sees me. I'm hoping one day somebody recognizes all the hard work I've been putting in for, and I'm doing it for that kind of applause. It, it might not look as obvious as the Pharisees. It might not look like sounding a trumpet in the corner and saying, hey, everybody check out what I'm doing, I'm giving. But deep down, the motivation is the same. It's serving to be great, not in God's eyes, but to be seen by other people and seen as greatness. Write this down if you're taking notes. Greatness is motivated by what God sees, not what people see. You see, Jesus was motivated to serve others, but it wasn't about pleasing people. His complete motivation to serve was about pleasing his father. It didn't matter if people saw him serve or if they didn't see him serve. It didn't matter if people liked how he was serving or not because he was doing it to please his father. Like I, I promise you, when Jesus got that mason jar out and that towel and was getting ready to wash his disciples' feet, y'all, they thought that was weird. But you know what? Jesus didn't care what his disciples thought because he wasn't about pleasing his disciples. He was doing it to please God. His thought process was, God, did you think that was good? Oh, you did? Okay, I'm good then. Because all I wanted to do was please you. And this is really what maturity looks like for all of us. And here's what's crazy about maturity as we continue to grow in maturity. When you first get saved, when you first give your life to Jesus, God starts to work out the obvious things out of you and work the obvious things in your life. And I wanna invite the band to come up as we get ready to close. Here's what I mean by that. I wanna give you my personal example of this, okay? So when I first got saved, God started working out the bad things, the obvious things in my life. So for me, it was like, Jackson, uh, you can't date that person anymore. Obviously, this is messing up your spiritual walk with me. Jackson, I don't want you watching that stuff anymore. Or Jackson, you can't keep lying to get yourself out of trouble and make yourself look good. It's the obvious stuff. And he's working in the obvious stuff too. So good things like, Jackson, you gotta read your Bible. Jackson, you should pray for that person. It's this obvious stuff. But can I tell you, the longer that you start to walk in maturity, the more God starts to mess with the stuff in you that's not as obvious. He starts to mess with things like your motives. So I'll give you an example of this. And this happened about two years ago for me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me after preaching a message here at New Song Students. He said, Jackson, you've just asked five people after service if they thought your message was good because you're feeling insecure and you need affirmation, but you never asked me what I thought about the message. Jackson, the message was great. You're serving great, but your motivation was off. 
you were preaching and you wanted the applause of people, but you didn't even ask me if I was applauding for you. And this is the kind of motivation that we see in the Pharisees. They were doing all the right things, but their motivation was not for pleasing God. It was, do people see what I'm doing? And New Song students, when we live our lives in this way, when we serve in this way, when we pray in this way, we go from being slaves of God to being slaves to people. And we look to people to determine our value. But God says this, no, 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 I determine what's valuable. I give your life purpose. And so New Song students, here's my encouragement to you. And this is the hard part of growing in maturity in Christ. Serve God in secret. Learn how to serve God in secret. We've got to learn and try to do our best to not flaunt the best parts of us for everybody to see. Because here's what 1 Peter 5, 6 says. It says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. You see, God's got great places for you, I promise. He's got great places for me and he's taken me to greater places every single year. But can I tell you, the best way that you walk into greater places is when it's in God's timing and not your own timing. And God has greater levels of greatness for us all to walk in. But here's what we gotta understand. Greater levels of greatness require greater levels of humility. And sometimes I think if we're not careful, we think that once we get that thing, whatever that thing is for you. I know for me, when I was y'all's age, I went to a really big youth ministry and this platform looked really great. And the, and the youth pastors that we had there were amazing and they looked really great. And I wanted that because I thought, man, when you get that, I bet you get, I bet life is awesome. I bet that's so great. But now that I have it, can I tell you it's great, but there is a level of humility and, and secrecy and walking in faith that I had no idea youth pastors walk in. And in the same way, what is that thing for you that you want so bad, that greatness that you want so bad? Can I tell you when you get it, it's gonna require more humility than you're already walking in right now. And we see this in Jesus, the higher Jesus got in his life, what did he do? The lower he went in humility. The older Jesus got physically, the lower he got in service to people, amen? And this is the model for us. The higher we get in, in, in our greatness with God, the lower we're called to be in humility. So I wanna go back to that thought experiment with the, with the tree. Do you remember that? If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? Scientifically, no, but biblically, the answer is yes. Why? Because God heard it because God heard it. So what does that mean for us? If you live a life serving God and nobody sees, if you live a life for other people and nobody gives you an applause, does your life matter? The answer is yes. Why? Because God saw you, because God sees you. He sees everything you do. So New Song students, let's learn to live a life of secrecy because when you do, God will lift you up into greatness, but it'll be in his timing and it'll be so much better than your plans. Amen. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me.